And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and coming up on the show, at least we're going to start with a bill that is supposedly going to be introduced into uh, the Senate at some point by uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. It is a bill to ban social media for kids under the age of 16. Now, we talk about social media on and off here on the program. I believe there's some good. I believe there's some bad, just like in everything in life. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution to anything in life. But when you take a look at some of the stuff that we're going to cover in the show, like the state of young people today, what they're going through, CDC released a survey we're going to discuss, and it all kind of ties in. So, should there be an age limit? Should social media be banned for kids under the age of 16? Now, if this bill goes through and becomes law at some point, you will need to sign up to get onto social media apps such as TikTok, for example. And I think that's the main one that's being focused because it has the most impact on young people today. But you have to sign up using your full name, including a date of birth, and then you need to upload a government ID. So if you're 16 in most states, you have a driver's license or perhaps you can go and get a uh, state identification card. And then you upload it, and then there's a verification process that allows you to have access. Now, granted, there are currently in some of these applications age restrictions, age requirements, something to do with age. But as we all know, we can just switch the date, right? When we sign up for an account, just make up a date that puts us a certain age, and now we qualify. So the big difference with this is that there will be a government ID that you have to upload to the process. Then what will happen? Well, then social media companies will be responsible to create an audit process to go through these accounts and make sure they're legit. If not, then they might need to be removed. So are they too legit or too legit to quit? And then there's a private right of action, whatever that means. So... You have to sign up, produce documentation saying you're 16 or older, and then the social media companies will have to follow up and make sure that they keep an eye on this stuff. Then on top of that, something that is going to be interesting to see just how they do it, the Federal Social Media Research Act, which would commission a report on the harms of social media and fully fund a study to track social media's effects effects on children, uh, over 10 years, over 10 years span. I don't think we need a commission for the next 10 years to tell us that social media can have a negative impact and probably is more negative on kids than positive. Areas of focus, I guess, in this research act would be areas of suicide, anxiety and depression, ADD, uh, gender dysphoria, eating disorders, and uh, a few others. Now, on the surface, this is a good idea, and I would tend to agree that, yeah, there should be some age restrictions on what kids in social media are looking at. 
However, it's kind of sad that's gotten to the point where we need a law because parents, you should be on top of things and you should be monitoring what your kids are observing on social media. But of course, we don't. So now there has to be a law. Now, there's a couple things that if you deep dive the news, kind of like what I do, I just don't get my news off of Twitter. I don't get my news off of mainstream media. I deep dive into different sites. You know, you learn in journalism, two, three sources are important to verify facts. Nowadays, we just go on misinformation, rumors, made up, anonymous sources. That's where everybody gets their news. So it's bogus. So being a true journalist as I am, or at least as I was trained, I go to multiple sources to verify information. And one of the things that tends to keep popping up with social media is the fact that there's exposure to pornographic material, even though you may not see it on your site. Uh, There's a lot of sex trafficking and entrapment or enticements of youth to meet people, and they think that they're meeting a specific person. It turns out to be something completely different and nefarious, and thus you get sex trafficked. So there's a lot of different things that this might possibly solve that even if parents were on top of things, wouldn't be able to fully protect their kids from, okay? Remember, we used to don't take candy from a stranger or stranger danger or, you know, kindergarten cop when they're all yelling stranger, right? So we have this law that's being mulled over, I guess you could say, talked about, going to be introduced. But here's the more important thing, okay? So social media, we all know, has an influence on kids, has influence on everybody, in fact. You have the like button. We've talked about it before. In fact, there's a documentary on Netflix about social media where the intent of the like button was to encourage positivity, but then it turned out to be a negative thing. Why? Because you're not getting enough likes. You're not getting enough views. You're not getting enough of the positive reinforcements. And then you compare it to others that are. Now, all of a sudden, the like button becomes your nemesis becomes your nemesis and your enemy, and now it has a drain on you, an effect on you, negative. So social media, how it affects kids. Well, how are kids doing today? Let's get a little deeper, okay? So the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, something that I really don't put a whole lot of stock in. So if they're reporting something and it is as severe as what they report, Quite possibly, it's worse than what they're reporting, and what they're reporting isn't very good to start. So they have this youth risk behavior survey that they conducted. It's a data summary of trends for a 10-year period, 2011 to 2021. Taking all this research, and they came up with this. 57% of female students, and I believe it was something like, um, I don't know, I don't know how they got it, but I think it included something like 20,000, you know, um, people that were surveyed in each category or, you know, the, the data was, wasn't just like 1,000. It was significant. 57% of female students admit to a state of hopelessness, sadness, or other negative feelings. That's over half, half of females. Female students, young people, we're talking, I think, 18 under, maybe even 21 under if you include college. Talk about half the people that are women have a negative look at themselves, hopelessness, 
sadness, other negative feelings, low self-worth. 25% actually made suicide plans. 10% in 2021 alone attempted suicide. Maybe that number's up because if people did attempt suicide and were successful, are they included in this? It did not say. So again, the numbers could be higher than what's being reported. You're getting the message yet. In 2021, 14% of boys and 30% over double of girls considered suicide. Now, the report went on. Okay, you got this data and this information, and then it shows some other trends. The the report goes on to show that girls are more likely to drink alcohol, do drugs, which then, of course, lead to things like violence, whether it be them acting out because they're either in a drunken state, they're hopeless, they're depressed, they're suicidal, so they're acting out in a violent nature, or perhaps violence is being perpetrated against them. Increase in mental health, which is, I think, really, when it's looked at, it's underwhelming. People will think anything can be mental health. I don't think it's become like the buzzword, like white supremacy or like you're a Nazi or things like that. It just becomes a buzzword. You're a racist, right? If you, if you think math is a race, math is racist, you know, roads apparently are racist. Everything's racist. It becomes like this buzzword that people use. I think mental health, and we have to be careful with this. I think mental health is becoming that buzzword that just we become numb to. Everybody has mental health. Oh, no big deal. We got to take mental health more serious. And when we look at these numbers, you know, 57% of females, a negative look at life, negative look at themselves. 25% made suicide plans, 10% attempted suicide, does include maybe successful suicides. 30% in 2021 considered it mental health, suicide. We've got to take these things serious. And a lot of it stems from the fact that there has been an increase, and we've talked about it on many shows, and we've looked at the numbers, that since the invention or the popularization of social media, these negative numbers have been increasing. People look at images on social media and they like to compare themselves to those images or those likes or the followings or the obsessive amount of money that people are making and they wish they could do that. And so then they take steps to try to match that. And then the cyberbullying that goes on. I don't even think cyberbullying was considered in this, but you've got cyberbullying that is probably rampant. We see it all the time. If you stroll, uh, scroll through your social media, don't you see what they call, I guess, the trolls now we're calling them? But it's cyberbullying is really what it is. And then you've got people calling out people for the way they look, for the way they raise their kids, for the way they maybe date or whatever marriage life they might have. I mean, you see it all the time, and they've forgotten that social media could be a parody, could be a skit, could be anything, and yet everybody takes it serious. Uh, what do I say? 20% of girls experienced violent sexual assaults between 2020 and 2021. By the way, did you know that some of the most common terms that are searched according to Pornhub which has taken a lot of flack recently, especially during the pandemic. But according to Pornhub, 18 plus, young girls, young and old, whatever that means, 
Those are some key terms, like the top searches. So again, you've got people looking for young girls in this uh, in these videos. They become sexualized again. Remember when women fought so hard to try to get respect, to try to be known for their brains and not as sexualized objects? Have you noticed a trend in social media? And I don't really know how the trends of social media are. I Recently, this, what, Asbury University had this great Christian revival going on. I think I, I think one post came across my For You page or whatever it is, and so I checked it out because it was making national news. Then all of a sudden, I'm inundated with religious content, okay? So whatever the algorithms or whatever the way they decide to determine to send you stuff, all it takes is a look at one video, and boom, you get inundated with stuff. It used to be people lip-syncing and dancing. Then I got animals because there was a beaver um, rehab specialist that was rehabbing a beaver, and so I'd watch the videos, and then all of a sudden I get inundated with wildlife. And so it doesn't matter. If you watch one thing, you get inundated with it. So I like to watch different things, and I also like to use social media as kind of a, a litmus test or a gauge as to what's going out there in pop culture, how society is through social media. And so you've got things like sex trafficking. You've got things like uh, sexualized um, content being more prominent out there. I know you've got things like OnlyFans that have gone through the roof, which is specialized sexualized content that you can subscribe to. But I'm not sure what the content or the community guidelines are these days, if anyone is even enforcing them, because there's a lot of content that scrolls through social media that is like questionable. And I'm not a prude. I'm just saying it's questionable. So if you got young people, let's say young girls that haven't gone through puberty, let's say, or maybe haven't gone through enhancement surgeries and their assets aren't as endowed as others, they might start to think twice when they're looking at these pictures thinking, wow, this is what gets views. This is what gets liked. This is what makes you popular. Or people disrobing undergarments on social media and That's all they do, and they get, like, millions of views? What kind of message does that send to young people? So as we look back at this bill that's going to be introduced, or if it hasn't already, it will be, maybe it's okay to have 16 and older because of the sexualized content. And women, aren't you hurting yourselves by becoming these sexualized objects again? You fought so hard to be known for your brain And now all of a sudden, the sexualized content is turning you back into sexualized beings. And you're doing it to yourself. 41% went on to experience mental health issues. Girls miss uh, more school than boys do. So it goes on and on. And you can look it up. I know it's kind of hit the mainstream news a little bit. So you can go look it up. It's the CDC Youth Risk Behavior Survey Data Summary Trends for 2011 to 2021. And it continues to get worse as we move forward. Uh, Young girls, incoming freshmen, preyed upon by older people, 18-year-olds attending college, right? They're attacked. They're assaulted. I can't imagine how many lives are destroyed on a weekend at a frat party, you know, fraternity row, whatever celebrations are going on. I remember a story a couple of years ago. I think it was um, 2021. So like August maybe of 2021. Incoming freshman moves into a sorority. School hasn't even started. It's opening weekend. 
She's a victim of sexual assault, rape. She hasn't even attended one class yet. Sexual assault. Done. Which leads me to believe if we're starting to think about age of consent, because women are being assaulted on campuses, and in most cases you have age of consent being 18 in most states, 16 in some, shouldn't we start looking at maybe age of consent a little differently? If we have this predatory society preying on young people, and we'll get to some other things, but preying on young people, let's say young girls, young women specifically, maybe we should think about upping the age of consent to 21. That way, incoming freshmen, if you are over 21, junior, senior, you can't prey upon these young incoming freshmen. I mean, you can't drink alcohol unless you're 21, right? Apparently now you can't buy guns unless you're 21. Laws changed. So if so much damage is being done by alcohol and they think that people aren't responsible unless you're 21, if you think that uh, having a gun, you're not responsible until you're 21, well, maybe sex should be considered as something that young people don't aren't responsible enough to handle and make it 21 so that way they can't get preyed upon. And sure, there's some states that have, I guess, what they call like a Romeo and Juliet law where like if, let's say, you know, two 17-year-olds engage in consensual activity, there's no statutory rape involved. So you don't have to get medieval. Again, not one size fits all. So if you had a college campus and two 20-year-olds get it on, it doesn't have to be statutory rape automatically. There's common sense, right? But if you're putting layers of protection, does a... 60-year-old dude really need to be hanging out and preying upon a 15, 16, 17-year-old? Now, if they're 18, 19, age of consent as it currently is, and it's consensual, and it's legal, and they decide that that's what they want to do, I guess that's what they want to do. But again, what's this predatory nature on young people? They're already inundated with a lot of negativity, and the numbers show it. So if age of 21 was the age of consent, perhaps then we would have less, well, maybe not less, but at least we'd be able to go after some of these predators, these people that are preying on young women. Because again, 57% feel bad about themselves. 25% made suicide plans. 10% attempted suicide. 30% of girls in 2021 considered suicide. 20% of girls in 2020 to 2021 experienced violent Sexual assaults. I don't know what the difference between violent and nonviolent sexual assaults are, but violent sexual assaults. 41% went on to experience mental health issues. Girls miss more school than boys. It's all negative. So why not put layers of protection against our young people? Why not put layers of protection and allow people to have the opportunity to grow up to be adults without having their lives, their innocence shattered? So maybe the age of 16 for social media. Maybe 16 is too young. Maybe we should consider something else. So what else is there? Okay, so you've got this bill about social media and an age of consent. But now we've got sex reassignment surgery going up. And if you look into it, you see a lot of influence of social media, but let's just look at it by itself. So sex reassignment surgery that's uh, being pushed upon people. Right, It's in the mainstream everywhere. In 2018, 
about 9,500 sex reassignment surgeries were recorded. 2,800 were male to female. So that means you were born a man and now you're a woman. 6,700, 6,691 went from female to male. What does that say about the state of womanhood, of females? Now, you can get into the psychology of this, that, whatever, gender dysphoria, I was born in the wrong body, whatever. You can go argue that. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you have a predominant, what is that, almost like three to one, three females changing their sex to male and having assignment surgery, like lopping off body parts, compared to men, Maybe there's something going on in all of this that are affecting women. Wouldn't it be the same? And so why is there this big push? Okay, we know social media makes a lot of money, and we know people on social media make a lot of money. So a lot of people are driven by making money on social media. That might be self-inflicted harm that you put yourself out there and then get ridiculed because you are doing whatever you're doing trying to make money, okay? But sex reassignment surgery, why are we forcing or trying to force young people to have sex change? Well, did you realize that or did you know that the sex reassignment industry is a $2.1 billion a year industry? Maybe we just found a new cash cow. So to hell with everybody, let's make money on this and let's force the young people. Let's give some kickbacks to some people to push it so that we can make billions of dollars off of it. Because if this was important, if this was life altering, if this was like I was born in the wrong body and I need to correct it, should it not be free? Should it not be affordable? No. $2.1 billion. It's a cash cow is what it is. Really? Okay. New York Times reports that 1.4% of teens ages 13 to 17 are considered transgendered, or they consider themselves transgendered. If you're 18 to 24, 1.3%. So if you lump those together and compare it to the entire population, you're looking at about 0.5%. Half a percent of people, according to the New York Times, identifies as trans. So why is there so much press coverage, so much political focus, so much pushing, so much indoctrination, so much of this going towards 0.5% of the population? Money, 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 money to the tune of $2.1 billion a year currently. Okay. Well, maybe it's just a passing fancy, right? Just a passing fancy. It's a political phase. We go through them. Next thing you know, we're going to be focused on a war in Ukraine. And so that will take the, the news off of all this other stuff. And maybe eventually in a couple of years, we'll have a new administration and, and new, new government. And so that might change things. Really? Well, let's look at it. The industry of sex reassignment surgery is expecting to grow to $5 billion a year, over double by the year 2030. That's a 11% growth, I guess, over the next few years. But if it's 2.1 now, 5 billion in 2030. Again, if this stuff is so important, if young people need this at a young age, if you're an eight-year-old or nine-year-old needs this at a young age, why is it costing 
billions of dollars? Why are people making huge profits off of it? It's about the money. They don't give a rat's ass about you and what you're feeling and what you're going through. Because I can point to you on YouTube, many people that I played them before on the show. They decided they were transgendered. They're going to go forward with their transitioning and woohoo, celebration time. Throw a party, a parade, pop the champagne. We've got another transgendered person going through sex reassignment surgery. Then after a while, they realize the ramifications of it and they decide they want to detransition. Party over. They're now vilified. They are now railed against. They're outcasts. So this once heroic person is now the scum of the earth because they turned their back on an ideology that is supposed to be the way, even though it only affects half percent of the population. Think about this. If you want to get a tattoo, tattoo, another big high dollar business, tattoos are in the mainstream. I might be one of the rare few people that don't have any. But you have to be 18 or over to get a tattoo. That's the law. And I believe it's the law in every state that I could find. Now, of course, if you get parental consent, if you're under 18, you could get a tattoo. But further research shows that most respectable, good, famous, popular, celebrity-style tattoo artists won't even do it on people under 18. You might get your back alley tattooist giving you a tattoo at 16, 17 with parental consent. And again, that's not an absolute, so don't come at me with all these different stories about what you went through. But the law is 18. If you want to get a piercing, the law is 18. I know this gal turned 21. And you know, nowadays they have these different, you know, uh, identification cards. If you're under 21 and if you're 21, right? If you're under 21, it's this way. If it's 21, it's this way, right? So the... Turned 21, and so the old, youthful style of identification card was expired. Wanted to get a piercing. I don't know what kind, but wanted to get a piercing. Went to the piercing. They would not give a 21-year-old a piercing because the identification was expired. Even though it showed everything was correct, would not do it. Person had to go and get a valid identification, went back, and then was able to get the piercing. So again, there's people out there that if they do follow the law, will enforce that you have to be 18 plus with verifiable identification to get a tattoo or to get a piercing. When I had my ear pierced at one point in time, I think it was back in college, I had to do with a needle and an orange, stuck the orange behind my ear and good to go. We've come a long way since then. But so again, if you're dealing with a tattoo which is commonly accepted as something good. People get them removed. I know that. But if you're dealing with body art and you have to be 18, if you're dealing with a piercing and you have to be 18, or you have to have parental consent, why is it that we're forcing something that is going to dramatically alter a person for life? A tattoo, you can get removed. How painful it might be, you can get it removed. A piercing, take it out, and supposedly it closes up. You cannot... I don't care what you say, you cannot reverse. Sure, you can cosmetically try to put it back together like Humpty Dumpty, 
but it's not the same. These people go through so much that they are not the same person and you can't put them back together. I don't care what you say. So why are you forcing this on people? And more importantly, why are you assaulting young women? Because again, by the ratio of almost three to one in 2018, female to male sex trans uh, transition surgery was taking place. So why is there an assault on young women? Maybe we need to have age restrictions on all of this stuff. Do you really think an eight-year-old who can't make up his mind what he or she wants to be for Halloween or a seven-year-old or a nine-year-old, someone going into college changes their majors three, four, five times before they graduate. And yet you want to make it without parental permission that a minor can go through and get sex reassignment surgery. $5 billion a year in 2030. You think they're not going to push that and get the money? Do you think politicians aren't getting kickbacks to promote this and to push this? You know they are. It's all about the money. So again, age of consent, 18. 16 in some states. Piercings, tattoos, 18. Alcohol, 21. Gun, 21. Being able to drive, 16. Being able to vote, 18. Everybody and pretty much everything has either an age restriction or you have to be a certain age. Hell, there's menus that you have to be 55 plus to order off a menu. You have to be 13 or less to order off a menu. Even menus have age restrictions. Because remember, it's all about, because life and the show is all about this. And this is why we're talking about it. You have greatness within you. You have the ability to do more than you can ever begin to imagine. See, I believe that anybody through observation and practice can perform at the level of excellence. But when you're pursuing your greatness, this is worth writing down, you don't know what your limits are, and you act like you don't have any. So I say to you, you have something special. You have greatness within you. See, if we're talking about bringing out our inner greatness, raising the standard, how are we bringing out the inner greatness by attacking a group of people, attacking women to the tune of they are to the point of, again, 57% state of of hopelessness, sadness, negative feelings, 25% made suicide plans, 10% in 2021 alone attempted suicide. 20% of girls experienced violent sexual assaults in 2020 and 2021. On and on and on. So it's not just social media. It's not just sex reassignment surgery. Let's talk about something that we kind of talk about and we've talked about before, but again, let's look at it. Abortion. Young girls without parental consent. It's more important that they terminate the life of a baby instead of the perpetrator who raped them statutorily. Planned Parenthood, $2.1 billion in assets. $2.1 billion, there's something with that number. $633 million given in federal funds. $597 million in private funding. The average Planned Parenthood executive makes nearly $400,000 a year. In 2019, their former CEO, Denise Richards, uh, I believe that's her name, 
made close to $1 million in salary. So tell me it's not about the money. Again, if abortion is a women's right, right to choose, why are so many people making huge profits off of this? Hmm. If sex reassignment is so important that it's the person's feelings, it's who they are, it's their true identity, why is it costing them billions to obtain their true identity? $2.1 On a side note, did you know that, and again, you can look this up. You can look this up on actual Planned Parenthood's uh, financial disclosures because they claim there's a bunch of other things, services that they do. Planned Parenthood performs 200 abortions for every one adoption referral. There's no money in adoption for them. And in fact, all their non-abortion services are down across the board. You can go look it up on their financial disclosure information. Okay. So... It's all about money. What is the most money we can make and the most services provided? You can look at anything. You can look at a doctor, a dentist. You can look at education. You can look at the grocery stores. There's a charge for everything that we do. And what drives those costs? Well, many factors. But again, you're talking about people want to make money. Stock market, people want to make money. And when you're talking numbers in the billions, do you really think that they give a darn about anything except that bottom line? No, they don't. It's always about the money. It started with one thing, moved to another over the course of time. Now it's gone through abortion, now into sex reassignment surgery. The next billion-dollar industry? What's that going to be? What's the next billion-dollar industry going to be? We don't know. But I'm sure it's going to come, and I'm sure it's going to be something that is negative with negative effects and negative consequences. Maybe we just saw it over the last couple of years with a uh, vaccine. We know that made billions of dollars. But maybe what's the next one that's coming? So, again... Assault on young people, especially young girls, continues. So you wonder, 57% of young girls have a negative self-view. I've used the analogy before. You're looking in the mirror at your reflection. What do you see? Do you see a clear representation of who you are with all the good, the flaws, everything in between? Or are you looking at a misrepresentation of yourself because of all the influences that have come and told you that what you see is bad, what you see is wrong, what you see shouldn't be seen, and you need to fix it? And not only do you need to fix it, but you need to pay for that fix. And we're the ones that can do it. And we don't care what the cost is five, 10 years down the road. We want that money now, and you need that fix now. You know, plastic surgery might have been, I think Botox, maybe Botox we should throw in there. I don't know if people still do Botox, but at one time Botox might have been the next billion-dollar industry. There's always something that they find. Uh, Implants, breast augmentations became huge, right? 
And then all of a sudden some people start having issues with them. I believe Pamela Anderson was one that had like health issues from it. People just throwing things out there because you have a problem. You were born wrong, whether it be the size of any anatomy, whether it be the color of your skin, whether it be hair, whether it be eyes, whether it be your identification of gender. So if you're lucky enough to be born, what are the chances of you you surviving childhood? You're lucky enough to be born. You've made it that far. What are the odds of making it through childhood these days without being attacked in some fashion over something that you aren't even aware of? Like you have no cognitive ability to understand. And the outside influences, the outside sources are giving you this negative information, keeping it from parents. Read an article the other day where there's teachers out there keeping gender identity changes and pronoun changes and stuff from parents. We can't let parents know because parents might disagree with us. Saw a video just this morning about some teacher, looked like somebody who fell out of a Skittles basket, telling us that parents don't have the right to have control over their kids. Really? If a parent doesn't have the right, what gives you the right? Social media, again, increases the negative self-worth in people exponentially. Women use filters on every picture. Why? Women have remade themselves as sexualized beings. Sexualized content on social media has become volunteer now. R-rated stuff on TikTok that women do. Upskirt, uh, upskirt pics of themselves. You'll see them take a picture up their skirt and then flash the camera real quick and they want you to, or their phone real quick and they want you to test your pause skills. Flaunting body assets and skimpy clothes. Mentioned uh, OnlyFans becoming more and more uh, prominent. So what are we talking about in the long run? Well, recently, Valentine's Day, February 14th, came and went. Everybody was talking about love. Where does love fit in all this? What does love got to do with it? Is it just a secondhand emotion? Well, if you look at love, there are three main types. Well, maybe four, I guess, if you want to. Uh, there's the philia, that's how you pronounce it, the philly, the brotherly love, the friendship, the kinship, you know, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. There's that family relationship, which I guess is a subcategory called storage or something like that. So you got family, you got a family relationship type of love. You've got a friendship type of love. You've got the, the, um, the eros, the ooh-la-la, the romantic love. And then you've got the agape love which is the selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love that if you are religious, you probably see it more in the Christian circles. But what might be some characteristics or actions that kind of represent the different kinds of love? Just kind of in generalities. If you're looking at family relationship love, you know, maybe uh, parent, kid, brother, sister, aunts, uncles, you know. If you're talking about uh, the brotherly love, friends, Maybe coworkers, maybe people that you uh, uh, hang out with that aren't related, but just not the romantic interest, the romantic interests, and then that selfless, unconditional, sacrificial love. 
What might be some of the characteristics that might be involved in all this? Well, first of all, there might be a sense of safety. If you love someone, you want them to feel safe. You want to be non-threatening to them. You won't pressure. If someone is, is, has a love for you, they won't pressure you into doing things you don't want to do. I think that's important. They won't pressure you into doing things you don't want to do. They're supportive in your decisions. So if someone is pushing you to do something, they might not truly love you, whatever that might be. Active listening might be another characteristic of a type of love. Are they engaged in what you're saying? Are they asking questions about what you're saying? Not interrupting and letting you talk. And as we go through this, think about some of the things that we previously talked about and see how this might demonstrate or show is love being shown to people by the ones that are pushing an ideology. Safety, feel safe. Active listening, you're engaged in the person. You're not threatening. You won't pressure them into doing something that they don't want to do. What about honoring differences? This was huge the last couple of years, right? It's huge today. We have the biggest political divide in the world. So any number of these types of love is affected by honoring differences. You accept your ideas or their ideas, you know, acceptance of ideas and feelings that are different in each other's lives. You actually feel comfortable about disagreeing. You don't get mad. You don't get upset. You don't block. You don't unfriend. You don't seek revenge. That's an important part of a loving relationship, whether it be family, whether it be that friendship, whether it be that ooh-la-la, or that agape. I think, I think we have to really take the agape, selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love kind of out of it because that's just that goes above all this. I mean, that is just something. If you are experiencing agape love for somebody, um, then you already know all this, and you're not a part of this at all. What about communication? You talk through the issues, right? If you're in a relationship, a loving relationship, whether it be friends, family, romantic relationships, you're talking through any issues, good and bad. You're discussing emotions, good and bad, whether it affects you or maybe the loved one's job, other friends. You're trying to resolve conflicts, sharing cares and concerns, right? This is all a part of a loving relationship. What about trust? Trust. You won't question them about seeing other friends or if they're going out. You won't go through their phone. Mm. Uh, you allow them to live without being scrutinized all the time. So if you trust someone, you allow them to be them while they allow you to be you. And then hopefully you don't betray that trust. What about effort? If you're in a loving relationship, again, whether it be with family whether it be with a friend and the friendship kind of thing, whether it be the romantic kind, you're going to give effort, right? You're going to be committed. You're going to prioritize them or they're going to prioritize you. Basically, you're going to show action toward them that you love them. And again, we've got to clump this all together. So if you're showing action that you love them, you're going to communicate with them. If you're showing action that you are Loving them, you are going to actively listen to them. You're going to show them safety. If you trust them, if you 
want to feel their safe, like give them safety, like, you know, you want to love them enough so that they feel safe around you, you're going to take action, right? These are all interchanged is the point that I'm trying to make. You're going to collaborate. You're going to work together on things to make a difference, to solve issues, to improve life. Partnership. You guys are a team. It's teamwork, right? You're coming together for a common good, and that's that relationship. And you want that relationship to be good. And then, of course, you respect them. They respect you. They show that you are valued. They support your choices. You support their choices. You're honest about it. How many honest respectful conversations have you had about honoring differences? How many of you do active listening when honoring differences? How many of you provide a safe community to discuss some of the differences? Do you trust them to share your true feelings in hopes that in return they will respond or act accordingly? You support their choices, you're honest, you're polite, you're courteous. See, so when you look at some of these things and you bring this all together, like a recipe, you put it all together and you get a loving relationship, right? And this is just an example of a few. I mean, the topic of love is endless. But if you're looking at this, and this is kind of a recipe, you know, safety, active listening, easy communication, trust, effort, collaboration, respect, and you take all that and you mix it up, you put it in a blender, you Throw the recipe together, put it in the oven, and out comes a loving relationship. That's what we're talking about. So you put all this together, and hopefully it's a loving relationship. Whether that loving relationship is family, friends, romantic, or the selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. So when we look at the things that are going on in life, the CDC survey, some of these other things that we've talked about, is there love being demonstrated? If someone says, yes, you should go do something, that is life-altering, and we're not going to let your parents know. Is that a reflection of a loving relationship? If we're honest, we're probably saying no. If someone comes to you and says, you know, I'm thinking about changing my gender, having sex reassignment surgery, I think I'm going to tell my parents. And they say, no, don't do that. Just go do it. You think that's a loving relationship? Probably not. Now, on the flip side, if someone comes to you with a serious problem or a crisis, maybe they're thinking about suicide, a loving relationship, you would probably be like, dude, let's go get you help, right? If it's something that severe, you're facing mental illness or mental health, let's go get you some, some help, some therapy. That would be a loving relationship, demonstrating an effort, right, to show a loving relationship. But yet, if someone comes to you, 15-year-old, gets pregnant somehow, doesn't know what to do, do you automatically point them a certain direction, or do you listen to what they have to say first? Find out what they think, what they're going through, what they want to do, and then let's go talk to somebody. Let's go seek Otherwise, counsel. You're 15. We should probably let your parents know. We should probably maybe let the police know because you're underage and somebody violated you, raped you. That would be a loving relationship. And then if the person still decided to terminate the pregnancy, at least the process was through a loving relationship, whether you agree or disagree. 
if someone came to me, I'm going to do an abortion. I would want to sit and listen to them. Why? Talk it through. See if there's other alternative choices. And then if they ultimately decided, which I've known people that have ultimately decided that, I respect their decision, although I disagree with it, but I haven't ostracized them, still talk with them. I won't bring them there, I don't think. I've never had that option, but I'm there afterwards. I'll definitely be there afterwards with open arms because you're going to need the help because the providers don't help. The providers don't help afterwards, follow-up care, things like that. They don't care. They do the procedure. They get the money. Then they're done. But what about all the people that regret their decisions, these decisions that are final? They regret them. Who's there to help scoop them up? So, yay, we were there because you wanted sex transition surgery. Yay, you're a hero. You're a champion. Oh, wait, you want to detransition? Ah, screw you. Goodbye. Now they're all alone. Nobody there to help pick up the pieces. No king's horsemen. No king's men putting you back together again. So if we look at this and these crises that are going on around the world and in our society, whether it be an earthquake in Syria and Turkey, whether it be a war in Ukraine, whether it be social issues, whether it be fentanyl, now all of a sudden the solution is to pass out Narcan to students because the fentanyl problem is so rampant that we don't even care to solve the problem. We just want to give them a Band-Aid. Oh, you get an OD of fentanyl because you opened someone else's locker and now you've been exposed to it? Here, just take Narcan. Cities. I've seen news stories where kids getting off the bus have to walk over, walk around, and walk through homeless encampments. San Francisco comes to mind. You think about, I think I just saw something where in Illinois, 53 schools, not one student, according to the news report, not one student can read at grade level. And 53 schools, might even be school districts, but 53 was the number that I read. 53 schools, if not school districts, can, can't read at grade level. Math, science, being left behind. You've heard kind of the rumors, I guess the rumors, I don't know if they're verified, but what we see in America versus what, Students in China see, they see science experiments. They see things that are educational, things that are going to make them better, that are going to improve society. We get the slop. We're eating from the pig's trough on social media. And things that get out there, good content, might be a passing fad, but ultimately they get lower on the algorithm scale, might get blocked because it's not out of love. So again, if we're going to make a decision based on whatever it is, if we look at it through the lens of love and just even through some of these basic characteristics, safety, listening, honoring differences, easy communication, trust, making an effort, collaborating, respect, we put all that together and we say this, just, just this simple thing is a loving relationship. Although we know love isn't a simple thing. Relationships aren't simple things. But let's just say for conversation, this is what we're going to look at. And this is what we're going to say love is. And then we're going to act accordingly. Does some of the other stuff change? Should we have 
an age of 16 for social media because we love our kids so much. We don't want them to be exposed to certain things. We see gender dysmorphia going uh, more rampant, increasing because of influences on social media. People don't even know what it is. We see uh, terminology, language changes all the time. So many classifications of identifications of people, you know, non-binary and other things, whatever. We can't even keep up with that. There's so many. So if adults can't keep up with it and don't really know what's going on, how are kids going to understand it? Because they don't have an understanding. Their brains haven't developed enough to fully understand. We take that into consideration. So if we look at things through the lens of love, we might see or we might act or we might want to respond to things differently than just a political ideology. Because right now, the only thing that kids are good for are being pawns in a political game, being pawns in a social justice game, being pawns to pursue an ideology that brings in $2.1 billion a year now and might be moving toward $5 billion to the year 2030. An industry that brings in $2.1 billion where the director, the last CEO, made almost a million dollars, where the average executive makes 400000 It's all money. That's what's driving this. And so when you sit there and you're boasting your ideology about this and that, you're really just making someone else rich. Are you getting rich? Are you making money? Wouldn't you like to be an executive for Planned Parenthood and make $400,000 a year if you were a pro-choice? But you're not. Then we talk about what disproportionately affecting different ethnic groups or culture groups or race. Go look up the disproportionate. You'll be outraged. So if we have climate, okay, climate's another buzzword, right? Uh, So if we have climate, these climate zealots running around um, on their jets, jet setting here and there, right? And they're trying to tell us that we need to save the planet, but yet they're ruining the planet because they're burning fossil fuel on their jets, right? But we need to save the planet because we need to have a better world for our next generation. Well, what's happening to our next generation? It might not be here. It's not going to be here because we're aborting the next generation. Women, to the tune of three to one, are going from female to male. Maybe they don't want kids. Maybe they can't have kids because of sex reassignment surgery, irreversible. So what is happening to the next generation? Is there going to be future generations? Well, you're talking and saying one thing here, but you're being hypocritical because your actions over here say there's going to be no future generations. We're not going to have future generations because we're not going to have kids because we're getting rid of them. So again, when drag shows at libraries are more important than kids' reading skills, LGBT ideologies such as pronouns, bathrooms, men playing women's sports are more important than English, math, science, and history. When kids are put last and their only value, like I said, is a pawn in society today, that is when you know we've lost future generations and we're at that point. Because if future generations, if you survive, if, you, if you're not getting aborted, if you're not committing suicide, if you're not doing drugs, or you're not facing fentanyl overdoses, or you're not changing your sex, then you might survive. But if you are doing these things, 
future generations don't survive. If there is no future, then why are we doing things to save the planet? Suicide rates up. Abortion rates up. Child mutilations are up. Mental health issues are up. Sex trafficking is up. By the way, we haven't even heard the clients from the Epstein list, right, or Maxwell, the people that she trafficked, where are the Johns? Because it's rich, powerful people that are engaged in this, and that's why they want to keep these things, because it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. Abortion will never go away because rich people, powerful men, they need their get-out-of-jail-free card. Women, you think it's your body, your choice, and you think it's a woman's right, but if you think about it, the man has the most influence over your decision. They're the ones pushing you. And you know it to be true if you stop and think about it. So they say men don't have a choice. Oh, yes, they do. If you are truly, truly honest about it, you will realize that men have the most influence over the woman and her choice, the daddy. Sad. There is no future, and this is the direct result of the actions that we have today. By our society, what are we going to do to affect change? I guess the first thing we could do is have a, a reset. We had a, a revival at Asbury. That was a Christian revival, religious revival. Maybe we need a societal revival. I think some politicians said we need to have a divorce between red states and blue states. Well, that might be one answer, one solution, but what about having a societal revival? What about putting kids first? What about looking through the lens of love instead of looking through the lens of political ideology, compassion, selflessness, being there for people, starting at the grassroots community, raising the standard, bringing out our inner greatness so that we can inspire others to do the same. Because if we're not going to do it and we're going to let the politicians and people at the national level continue to destroy what we're living in, there's going to be no future. And we got to take a stance in our neighborhoods, in our communities, put kids first, get the education back, educating students so that we can have a better future generation and look through the lens of love so that we can see and make decisions that are best for the person and not for the bottom line. This is Two Steps Ed Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Sonny Edom. Check out our website, RadioWarp.com. That's Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. You can click on the uh, Two Steps Ahead Podcast logo, and all of our shows pop up. There's also a couple other podcasts, some music shows. You can click the Listen Live and listen to uh, music and other programming 24-7. There's a swag shop to get some cool swag if you'd like to support the show. You can listen to the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, sign up for or, or um, friend us or whatever you do on Instagram. Follow us, I guess is the word, on Instagram. Uh, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. There's a Linktree link in the bio that takes you to a lot of our different sites, such as our Rumble and SoundCloud account, where you can subscribe and never miss an episode. Um, again, we also have a YouTube account and there is, uh, again, you can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts such as Spotify, Pandora, Apple podcasts, iHeartMedia, etc. You can Google search TWO, two steps ahead podcast, and we pop up. And then there's also, Hey Alexa, Hey Surrey, Hey Google play TWO, two steps ahead podcast, and we pop up. So we are able to be found quite easy. 
Two Steps Ahead podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm signing them. Hey, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.